Welcome to the e-commerce podcast with Matt Edmondson, a show that brings you regular interviews, tips and tools for building your business online. Well, hello and welcome to the e-commerce podcast with me, your host, Matt Edmondson, and a rather gruff, deep voice. Yes, if you're a regular to the show, you will recognize these are not my normal tones. No, I am. Uh, you'll be pleased to know I am a man flu survivor. Yes, the, the horrors of it. I've come through the other side. So at least I hope I'm coming through the other side. Uh, but do bear with me in my croaky voice. The good news is uh, we are going to have a fab guest on the show who actually has, you know, Something great to say, so I won't have to talk as much, which is always wonderful, right? So uh, welcome to the show. If this is your first time with us, uh, great to have you. We are a podcast all about e-commerce. Yes, we are. And our goal is simple, just to help you grow your e-commerce and digital businesses online. And to do that, every week I get to talk to amazing people from the world of e-commerce. I get to ask them all kinds of fantastic questions about what they know and how it's going to help us grow online ourselves. I try and have the conversations that you would have with them if you got to sit down and have a cup of coffee. Yes, it's that kind of casual conversation type thing. We dig into their stories, we learn their principles uh, that we can use ourselves. So in this, uh, if you enjoy this episode, make sure you subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, like if you watch on Facebook, and subscribe wherever you get your audio podcasts from. Uh, I got an email actually this week telling me we're now on Amazon Music. They've decided to feature us on Amazon. So if you're listening to us on Amazon, uh, a warm welcome to you. Uh, however, you get, however you get the show, it's great that you're here. Now this week, we are going to be talking about how to scale your e-commerce business to sell it. Now, I'm from an era, uh, I won't mention what era that is, but when I was growing up in the business world, uh, we kind of had the book called uh, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. It was a big selling book at the time. And one of the things I remember from his book is whenever you start a business, whenever you start your own company, you always build it with the idea that you are going to sell it, whether you sell that to a third party or whether, in fact, you, you buy it yourself with your own sweat uh, is another question entirely. But it was I've always been fascinated with this idea that actually when you start a company, you start it to sell it. Now, recently, in the last month or so, I have actually sold one of my own e-commerce businesses. Uh, Jersey Beauty Company has been sold on to a much bigger, a much better organization, that's for sure, um, are doing great things with it. Uh, so I'm really keen to dig into this one, uh, that's for sure, and talk to Ben Leonard uh, about the lessons that he's also learned from building and scaling and selling uh, his own multi-million pound uh, international website. So Ben apparently is best known uh, for being the founder of Beast Gear. Uh, he's the classic millennial entrepreneur, and I love this because he built a business with a laptop in a cupboard in his spare time. Is that the definition of a classic millennial entrepreneur? I guess we'll do. They'll do. We'll take that. That works, right? Uh, ben grew an international seven-figure business uh, and successfully exited after three years, which is the business holy grail. We all have dreams of it, don't we? Building a business and then selling it. 
uh, and exiting in a good way. So I know this is going to be an interesting conversation because he's sold his businesses. I've sold mine and, and Ben is doing it all over again. Uh, and he helps other people do the same thing with his company, Ecom Brokers. So I'm hoping that Ben is going to walk us through the steps of setting up and scaling your business so that it is ready for sale. It doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur or if you just want more cash flow. We're going to cover everything from getting started and all that sort of stuff. We're going to get into it. So I think that's enough talking from me. Without further ado, I'm going to press this button and we're going to bring Ben onto the show. Ben, good afternoon. How are we doing, sir? You're looking very thoughtful then. It's a very thoughtful Yeah, no, I was just listening intently to your, uh, <laughs> to your lovely intro. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. No problem. Is is honestly, sir, the treat is all mine, sir. Because we're gonna we're gonna talk about a topic which is actually very close to my heart, uh, which is selling, uh, scaling, setting up, growing, scaling, and then selling your business. There's a lot of S's in that statement, um, and we're gonna talk about that in today's podcast. And actually, I get to do this for the first time. We've had other guests on in the show talk about selling businesses, but first time I'm talking to a fellow, a fellow Brit. You know, we're we're kind of. We live on the same island, two different countries, I grant you, but we live on the same small island in the North, the North Sea. Uh, and that's, that's quite wonderful. So I'm, I'm excited to, to do this. Uh, and for the listeners uh, that don't know a bit about you, just give us a bit of brief, brief background. Sure. Um, I stumbled into e-commerce in early 2016. My background before that was very different. I am a qualified whale and dolphin nerd. Uh, in, in I was not expecting you to say that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm still a whale and dolphin nerd, but not professionally anymore. Um, so I worked in the oil and gas industry as the token uh, tree hugger in the room, telling engineers <laughs> that they couldn't chuck chemicals in the sea and working with the regulator to try to the, make, make the rules a bit tighter. And I got quite ill um, late 2015 with a heart condition. And oh, I'm wow. absolutely fine now. Um, but for a period of time, I was signed off work and I had to stop all my fitness hobbies. So no boxing, no CrossFit, no running around like a maniac, no more scuba diving, running for a period of time while I got better. And my then girlfriend, now wife, was very busy studying and I needed something to do. So I'd had this idea previously um, to create a brand of fitness equipment. Really, it had just been I'd, I'd been at the end of a CrossFit session and, and somebody said, oh, we beasted it today. And I said, yes, yeah. beast gear. That would yeah. be a cool name for a fitness brand. And I forgot yeah. all about it. Till a couple of years later, I'm quite ill, need something to do. Sadly, tidying out my gym bag, I hit upon this idea. Actually, I could probably make this better. This kit's actually yeah. not really good enough. And so I had this this idea to create a fitness brand that I did, and it was called Beast Gear. And uh, I have to out, admit, Ben, sorry to interrupt. I actually have some Beast Gear product. Oh, superb! I'm talking to a. A bona fide beast. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, a bona fide beast. That's that's right. It's um, yeah. Uh, I, I like you. I have a little penchant for for CrossFit, so I, I'm familiar with the brand. Yeah, yeah. It's, which is why oh, I'm great. excited to have you on. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Sorry, I interrupted um, you. You carry on. No, no, not at all. And so, um, turned out I was quite good at it. And I turned out I discovered an entrepreneurial spark that I didn't know I had. Mm. So I I quit my job, um, or rather, I took it. My boss was amazing. I said I need to quit. I need. To I need to, this is going somewhere, I need to quit. She said, don't quit because it's scary starting a business um, or going it alone. So uh, take a year of sabbatical and hopefully we'll never see you again because hopefully you won't need your job back. And I, and I didn't. And she was the best boss ever. And so I, I scaled it up. And after about three and a bit years, we were doing about probably four million quid in revenue. And um, I became aware that selling a, an e-commerce business was just on the cusp of becoming a little more mainstream, a little more normal, yeah. you know, 
M&A and e-commerce was, was not a thing uh, before. And, and this was, was early 2019. And it was a crossroads in our lives. Uh, my wife was pregnant. We wanted to move house. And I knew that I could take significant money off the table and make us secure. Uh, despite, I still had a passion for the brand. But it was growing, but we hadn't maxed out growth. There was still a lot of meat on the bone, which meant that it was attractive to a potential buyer. And I liaised with a broker or several brokers and settled on one. And the process took a bit longer than I wanted. And at the end of the process, I'd, I'd successfully sold, but the experience with that broker could have been better. And it was my accountant, Alison, who actually um, has about 20 years mergers and acquisitions experience. She kind of rode in like the knight in shining armor and, and uh, saved the day a little bit with, with the experience with that broker. And so after, after we'd sold the business, we put our heads together and said, well, there's a gap here. We can do a better job. And in particular, a gap in the UK, actually. Yeah. Um, we can combine our skill sets, me on the e-commerce side, understanding what it is like day to day in e-commerce and understanding how to build a brand and turn it into a valuable asset and scale it up. And Alison on the M&A side and the accountancy side. And so we founded Ecom Brokers um, mm. in 2020. And what I think is quite important is I'm still, still building brands, mm -hmm. um, partly because I love it partly because I now know how to build a brand and turn it into something valuable with a view to selling it. So I'm always building to sell. And partly because I can't look my clients in the eye and say, I understand what, what it's like to be you. If I'm saying, well, I used to own an e-commerce business, yeah, but yeah. I sold it in 2019 because it's such a fast moving industry. It is. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, that's, uh, that's me. And that's where I am today. Wow. So, uh, well, like I say, well done on Beast Gear, because like I say, I, 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 it's a, a great little product that you've got going on there. How, how did you find, um, how did you find that? I mean, you, you said that, you know, you, you got a broker and there was a, a few bits and bobs there in that sale. How did mm. you find the whole process overall of selling your business? Was it, uh, was it exciting? Was it a time of high anxiety and stress? Where, where were you at? Where was your head at? Both of those. Uh, moments of incredible excitement and um, cartoon style dollar signs rolling in your eyes um, to moments of sheer panic and terror mm. that that this could all fall through. And, uh, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen if, if, if this deal doesn't come off? And, of course, would have still gone on to sell it. Um, so it's a roller coaster of emotions. And I think that's that's a really key thing is especially if you're very attached to your brand, and I hope everybody is, is that it's very emotional. And it's really important that you iron out that emotion when you're going yeah. through such an important process as selling so that you can um, make the big decisions without being caught up too much in things tugging at your heartstrings. And that's where when, when you work with the right people, they can help you to do that. So yeah, it was a, it was a roller coaster of emotions and stress. Um, I managed to, because the process took longer than we wanted, I, I contacted this broker in early 2019. The deal wasn't done until Halloween. Um, the the nitty gritty of the due diligence process, unfortunately, coincided with my wife, myself, and our four-month-old daughter interrailing around Italy. <laughs> so we'd be, pounding, we'd be pounding the streets of Venice by day and by night in the hotel room, a budget hotel, I hasten to point out, um, I would be on calls with people from all corners of the world, <laughs> uh, all different departments of this potential buyer, um, talking them through my business. And uh, so, yeah, very, very stressful, but kind of enjoyable. 
Yeah, it's it's. I found that when we sold Jersey, the the same thing. There's a mixture of excitement. There's a mixture of uh, stress and anxiety. The workload. I think that was probably the thing which surprised me the most. The amount of work that was involved in selling the business was extraordinary. Um, mm. Not not I I couldn't have been. The last time I'd sold an e-commerce business was several years before that. And I was just not prepared for the sheer amount of paperwork, uh, oh, yeah. you know, and due diligence you actually have to do in selling a business. It was, um, it was, it was much more than I was expecting. That's for sure. Did you find that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you you think you've worked hard on your business. Well, try selling it. You know, you're juggling, <laughs> you're juggling trying to keep your business running, and not only keep it running, keep it growing, and keep it being a, um, an attractive acquisition proposition for the potential buyer. At the same time, it's going through this due diligence process where they are turning over every single stone and pebble. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and quite rightly so, if they're going to hand over a lot of money for a business and take on any potential liability with that business. The process was so intense, I thought somebody would come around to my house and scan my retinas, you know. Um, <laughs> and and now I took that into what we do now. We, we get our clients a head start on that due diligence process so that mm-hmm. when they do enter a due diligence um, period with a potential buyer, everything is neat and tidy and set up with a, with a ribbon on top, which makes their life a lot less painful and actually makes the process much more enjoyable for the potential buyer because they're not trying to squeeze everything out of the, the business owner because it's all there, ready and prepared. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is intense and it is difficult. And there's a lot of paperwork, as you said. Yeah, a lot of paperwork. Just explain to those listening to the show that maybe have never sold a business before or, mm-hmm. um, you know, at very early stages. What do you mean by the phrase due diligence? Because the way we're talking about it is it's this big thing which is going to cause you lots yeah. of grief and agony. Um, yeah. what, what is it? Um, when a potential buyer wants to buy your business they'll send you something called a letter of intent, which is basically usually a, a non-binding legal letter that says, uh, we intend to buy your business for more or less X, mm-hmm. pending an exclusivity period of often 30 to 45 days, sometimes longer for a very complex deal, uh, during which we will do our due diligence. And that means they're going to uh, sign an NDA and request access to every single thing, the entire DNA of your business, whether that is your financials, your tax returns, your inventory reports, your last 12 months purchase orders, any contracts you have with suppliers, freelancers, consultants, your certificates of registration of your business, your VAT registrations, your documentation, your SOPs, any legal disputes you've ever been involved in, absolutely everything to do with your business, they want to see it. And it's nothing to be scared of. Um, I, I talk about it being intense and stressful purely because, well, it is. They're trying, they, you know, that's a lot of stuff to yeah. sort out. Yeah. Unless you've, you've got it prepared ahead of time and preparation is one of the things I bang on about a lot. Um, but it's just something to be aware of. You know, it, it's, it, you're not going down to the shops to buy a package of crisps. Right. You know, somebody's going to hand over an enormous amount of money for a, a, a complex machine, if you like. And they need to know that everything is um, is in good order and that if there is anything that's not quite as it should be, for instance, 
suppose your business got caught up in some black hat strategies, or perhaps you were targeted by black hatters at some point, that type of thing, that doesn't necessarily kill a deal, but they need to know and you need to disclose it because if you don't disclose it, you know, there could be repercussions down the line. So that's what I mean by due diligence is this, this period of time where you agree that you won't sell your business to anybody else so that this potential buyer can take a good look at it. Yeah, that's very good. And they, they like you say, they get under the hood, don't they? And they check yeah. a lot of information out. Yeah. Uh, and that process, that whole due diligence process, I found quite fascinating. Mm. And I understand why they wanted to do it from the, the, the from their point of view. Um, I guess from my point of view, I don't know if you find this with people selling their business, it becomes a time where you're a little bit nervous because you kind of think, I've done my business well, and I'm fairly sure all our records are good and in order. But they're, they're going to ask questions which m- might make you second-guess yourself sometimes, and you have to be prepared to give a response, give an answer, right? Yeah, absolutely right. And you learn a lot about your business. And once you've been through it once, you can actually use that as a, as a very helpful way to reverse engineer more businesses that you're going to build. Mm. You know, if we're going back, you mentioned in the intro there, The E-Myth, which is a mm. phenomenal book and really helped me get ready for my sale, along with another great book called Built to Sell by a guy called John Warlow. Mm. And what, going through that due diligence process really helps you to, to understand your business even better and yeah, you can second guess yourself and they will ask you difficult questions and rightly so. But it's also important to remember that the potential buyer, um, knowing what they know about your industry, your niche and your brand and your business, they will know that there are certain things that you may not have all the answers to. Um, and depending on the industry you're in, they'll know what kind of thing they're getting into. So, for instance, if you're selling an e-commerce business uh, and if you're selling on a platform like Amazon, they will know that it's possible, for instance, maybe you had a product suspended for a month or two because it didn't comply with a certain policy, but then you were able to get the right certificate to iron that out and everything was fine. And sometimes sellers say to me, oh, I'm not too sure about disclosing that. And I say, well, what happened? They say, well, the product was down because we didn't actually have the right certificate to prove that it was safe. And did you get the right certificate to prove it was safe? Well, yeah, we did. And so what happened then? Well, Amazon actually reinstated the product. Fine. The potential buyer knows what kind of it, what they're getting into when they're buying an e-commerce brand that sells on a platform like Amazon, for instance, yeah. or any other. It's okay to talk about those things. The important thing is that you have done something about it. You have all your documentation, all your docs in a row, and that you're honest. Yeah. I guess the problem is actually if you don't talk about it, because if that comes out later down the line after the sale, there's usually all kinds of warranties in that contract, which is oh, yeah. gonna which is gonna come back and bite you in the backside a little bit, right? Absolutely, and it, it depends on whether you're selling. And for the most part, particularly with us, because many of our clients are in the UK, although we have clients all over the world. Um, for the most part, business owners want to sell the entity. So, for example, the limited company, and especially mm-hmm. in the UK, they want to do that to benefit from the entrepreneur's relief on the capital gains tax. And when you're selling a limited company, the new owner is taking on the liability associated with that limited company. Whereas if you keep the company but sell a brand that the company owns, then any liability that is with your company stays with your company. So it's less risky for a buyer if they're buying just a brand rather than if they're buying your company. And that's why, particularly when you're selling to an American buyer who is usually in the States, tend tend to have asset sales more, more than share sales. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and American buyers are often a little bit more more uh, thorough with their due diligence when they're looking at uh, buying your, your entire company. Yeah, that's really interesting. Really interesting. So let's um, <clears throat> let's go back to the beginning, Ben. Right. So I, mm. I'm, st- I'm let's say I'm starting again. Right. Yep. And I'm I'm building my e-commerce business and I think, right, this is good. In the next three to five years, I want to build this to X amount in value. Mm. Uh, and I want to I want to exit at this point. Right. What are some of the things that I need to think about in terms of. Or do I let me start off with a more basic question, if that's in five years time, do I need to think about it today or do I just go, oh, I'll think about this in two years time? You, you don't need to think about it today. When I started my first brand, I wasn't thinking about an exit, but now I am always thinking about an exit. So it's very helpful to think about it today. But um, I like to talk about something called just-in-time learning, which can be very helpful when you're building your business, particularly when you're in a very exciting stage of riding by the seat of your pants and getting it to orbit. Yeah, it's not particularly if you're if you've got a five-year plan to exit your business, it's not particularly helpful to get caught up on wasting your brain power thinking too much about that now when you're still trying to launch the thing. And it's fair to say that during that initial phase, your documentation, your processes, all of that kind of stuff, it, it's not going to be in in the most beautiful setup because mm. you are very much in that um, that blast off phase. The rocket boosters are firing, the rocket's shaking all over the place. It's not a a beautiful thing yet. But once you get into orbit, and maybe you're a little bit closer to that five years out, maybe you're now two years in, you really do start needing to tidy things up again, revisiting the e-myth and revisiting Built to Sell, which is another great book. And so what I would say to business owners, if they're starting out, the first thing to do is make sure that you're you're building your business in the right way in the first place, in that you're building a brand. Whatever you do, don't set up an e-commerce website to just sell stuff. Build a legitimate brand that you're you're passionate about. So if you're trying to start a brand of knitting products, make sure you love knitting. Uh, <laughs> yep. That really that really matters. And mm-hmm. you know, create a product followed by several others that solve a, a, a series of related problems for a particular group of people, and build a legitimate brand, with, and preferably with some intellectual property around it. And if you're more experienced. Uh, what I would say is it's time to start making sure that all of the main big ticket items are neat and tidy and looked after. So, you know, uh, think about your stability. Are you in a risky niche? Um, have you ever dabbled in gray area or black hat strategies? If you have, stop now. What, what do you mean when you say black hat strategy? So, for instance, um, again, coming just Amazon as an example, because so many e-commerce businesses now, even if the majority of their revenues on their own website, so many are, are selling on Amazon. Um, have you been buying reviews? Have you been paying to have reviews upvoted and downvoted? Mm-hmm. Have you been paying to have negative reviews left on your um, competitors listings? That type of thing. Whatever, you know, don't be doing that. Don't get involved in that. Um, how transferable is your business? If you fall down the stairs tomorrow and you're in hospital for two weeks, is your business going to look after itself? If the answer is yes, and it sounds like you've got a pretty transferable business, if the answer is no, you don't, which means you can't hand over the keys tomorrow and your business can't be absorbed into the ecosystem of whoever buys it, whether that's a competitor or private equity or more recently an e-commerce aggregator or roll-up. And that kind of ties in nicely with the other one that I often talk about with regards to, you know, stability is 
are, is your documentation all, all, all neat and tidy, whether that's your intellectual property or systems and processes. So really start looking after those things and also be growing. You need to be, be, be the best time to sell is when you're growing, but you haven't maxed out growth. So potential buyers can be really attracted by this great growth history. You haven't plateaued, you're not declining, but also they can see the meat on the bone that is mm. still there for them to exploit. Because after all, they want to take the growth you've had, accelerate it even more and get it probably exit themselves later if they're a financial buyer. Different story if they're more of a strategic buyer. So those are the things that I would be telling people to think about. Okay, so um, uh, get your business practices in order, get your documentation in order, um, and start sort of thinking, you know, ahead of yourself uh, in terms of where you want to be. And I guess, you know, read up about it, learn about it. What's going to make your business attractive to, to somebody? Yes. What's going to make it easy to buy? I think that's a great question, isn't it? What's What can I do that's going to make this business easy to buy for the person that wants to buy it? You know, the, the and so... You know, you if I go back, you sold Beast Gear. That was in two thousand, right? Two thousand nineteen. Yeah. Two thousand nineteen. So you're uh, sorry, yeah, two thousand, not two thousand. That was a long time ago. Um, so you're uh, you're learning from that. You've sort of you've you've sort of put all this together, and you are now helping other people exit their e-commerce businesses. You're building your own brands with you know the the idea to sell them based on that learning. Mm. What's the what's some of the top lessons I guess that you have you have learned yourself uh, from that pro from that process? Yeah, preparation is key. We spoke about that a moment ago regarding due, due diligence and having all your documentation, your IP, your accounts in in order. Timing is key, and I mentioned there about growing, uh, selling your business when you're growing and not maxed out. But here's another lesson that I took away and it's it's less quantitative quantitative and a little bit more wishy-washy but i stand by it uh, this was advice given to me by my dad before i sold and he got it from somewhere else it was this it, it was sell your business at the point of peak romance and what that really means is you're at a point where you're growing and you kind of think to yourself wow this could be something big mm. and the reason that's a good time to sell is that there's plenty of upside to attract a potential buyer. Therefore, you can get a great price for your business. And there's plenty of upside for you also, depending on how you structure the deal, of course, can um, benefit from as the new owner with more resources than potentially you have takes that business where you think it might go. And yet, if it doesn't work out quite like that, and it doesn't go quite where you wanted it to go with the new owners, for whatever reason, then you probably got out at the right time. Mm. And you'll always be the person who founded that business and nobody can take that away from you. So there's this romantic notion that it, this could go stratospheric. And yet that's all it is, is yeah. this romantic notion. So it's a, it's a good time to sell. One of the other things I really learned is about reverse engineering the exit. And so I, I, I didn't quite do this because I, I didn't decide, start thinking about selling really until early 2019, then I sold more late 2019. But it's more that I didn't do it, that I learned, learned that it is the right way to do it, which is this, it's, it's find out what your business, even if you don't want to sell, because I say, it's, a lot of people say to me, um, why should I sell? And I say, well, that's the wrong question. The right question is, why should you make your business sellable? 
Because ultimately, one day there has to be an end game. What are you going to be doing in five years, 10 years, 15 years? And probably you're going to need to sell your business or want to sell your business. And so when you make it sellable and valuable, when you do come to sell it or start prepared to sell it, you're in a much better position. It's much less painful. And so when you reverse engineer your exit, you do this, you find out now, even if you don't want to sell, what your business is worth. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. My business is worth $2 million. And you ask yourself, what, do you, what would you be happy to sell your business for? Want to sell my business for $3 million or $4 million. Great. Now you know where you are. You have a reference point. It's like mm-hmm. you know, orienteering with a map and a compass. If you didn't have a map and a, map and a compass, you'd be in a pickle. Yeah. Now you know where you want to get to. What are the things I have to do to get there? What are the dominoes I need to stack up to get there? And that makes, not only does it make it a lot easier to get to your exit, but actually all of a sudden your business runs itself a whole lot better because when you start organizing your business in such a way that exactly as Michael Gerber says in the e-myth, that it's attractive to a buyer and could be taken into their system and absorbed into their system, all of a sudden it just starts to scale because it's like a well-oiled machine and all the cogs are turning really nicely. And then I guess the last thing I learned from the, the process was work with the right people. Because in the first instance, I didn't. And then I did. Mm-hmm. And when you work with the right people to um, properly prepare you for exit, whether that's getting everything neat and tidy and built to sell, so you're ready for the due diligence process, or whether it's actually calculating what your business is worth properly and with the appropriate accountancy skills and understanding of your business and you know deep analysis, making the appropriate adjustments and addbacks to fully just realize what the business is actually worth on day zero that the new owner buys it and then market that to a pool of the right buyers so that you're going to have hopefully a competitive environment that's where whoever you work with whether it's a broker or an investment bank or an M&A advisor that's where they're really earn their money is is those calculations and then marketing the business to the right people so yeah work with the right people is is a is a big lesson that's that's <clears throat> that's really good advice i mean one of the things that i didn't do when we sold jersey is i didn't work with a broker we were approached actually out of the blue um i wasn't necessarily looking to sell it we were just approached and i uh, and we managed it internally i think in hindsight i would have done what you suggested and i would have i would have definitely got some help um but i was I don't know if I want to say the word naive. I don't think I was naive. I think I just didn't anticipate what would actually be involved in selling it, you know, and, and actually getting that help uh, was because, you know, to this day, did I sell it for the right price? I genuinely don't know. I was happy with the price I sold it for. That's good. Um, but I never, I never, I never went out there and got it valued. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and I think that reference point does help. It depends who you're selling it to. And I don't know who you sold to, but um, a lot of people right now are getting cold approached by this new, um, we're in a new wild west yeah. in e-commerce. Since an organization called Thrasio was, was created in September, 2018. And I can say this next bit because it's public to me. They bought my business mm-hmm. uh, the following year. They raised a lot of money to aggregate or roll up e-commerce businesses, primarily selling on Amazon, but not just Amazon. Um, and now a whole load of other uh, firms have followed the same model, some successfully, some not. And about 80% of them will fail, I think. Mm-hmm. And these organizations are cold approaching e-commerce business owners 
every day with emails saying we want to buy your business. And that's absolutely fine. It's very exciting when that happens. You put your blood, sweat and tears into your business. And now somebody wants to buy your business from you for potentially quite a lot of money. And they'll, mm -hmm. they'll dangle a pretty big carrot. And that carrot can be enough to tempt people. But depending on the organization that's dangling this carrot, oftentimes your business is worth a whole sack of carrots. If only you would take it through the thorough process to maximize its value, get it ready for sale, and then market it to a pool of the right buyers. And the next bit is really crucial. Have the right legal representation to make sure that the deal is skewed as much in your favor as possible. Yeah. And a lot of people are, are parting ways with their business right now for far less than it's really worth. And the reason I said Wild West before is just because this is so immature. Mergers and acquisitions in e-commerce is so immature. And in every other industry, it's it's quite normal to you know take your business through a process to get it ready for sale and work with a professional to maximize its value and then market it to a pool of the right buyers. But in e-commerce, we're just having these cold approaches every day. And um, business owners who are fantastic business owners and have created great businesses who will happily pay experts to help them with their ads their social media, their translations, mm. all sorts of stuff. All of a sudden, when it comes to selling their business, they say, oh, I, I don't want to pay someone to help me sell it. I don't want to give away a commission or something. When actually, if only they did, they would have a, uh, they would get a much bigger exit. Um, but yeah, um, it's, it's, yeah. That's a really interesting point. And one of the things that you, you mentioned there, which I want to sort of circle back to is the idea of having good legal representation. And um, I think, again, one of my learnings from this whole experience is, uh, my lawyer was great. Uh, I was really pleased with, with, and, and actually read things in the contract, which I, I wouldn't have picked up on. Uh, yeah. and he, he was very good and just said, listen, if you sign this, this is what this actually means. So I can't, I can't advise you to sign this document. This is ridiculous. Was a phrase he used quite a lot. Um, certainly in the early days. And yep. so, what I found was, uh, and I don't know if you found the same, Ben, you know, you, you need good legal representation. It wasn't until the lawyers actually started talking directly to each other, though, that things really started to move. Um, yes. So when they were, when my lawyer was talking to me and their lawyer was talking to them, and then we'd talk to each other, and then we'd go back. Do you know what I mean? It became, that was quite a complex process. That bit's a bit frustrating. Yeah, when we, well, we didn't sit down in the same room. We sat down on the same Zoom call because, you know, it's pandemic times. Uh, and we sat down and started to, so I, I found actually, I, I think I should have got them together a little bit earlier. Um, but I found that quite helpful. I don't know if that's a common thing. Extremely helpful, particularly um, if, so we, you know, oftentimes there'll be an American organization buying a British or European business. And it's very helpful then when the American organization has is represented by a British in, uh, mergers and acquisitions solicitor yeah. who can translate everything from British yeah, yeah, to American yeah. for them. Yeah. And suddenly things speed up a lot faster. And, you know, what often happens is the buyer will send a proposed share purchase agreement or an asset purchase agreement. And if you've got good legal representation, and so if you're working with a broker, they should be connecting you with a, a, an excellent uh, solicitor who, who is experienced in mergers and acquisitions. So if you have good legal representation, that contra proposed contract should be going straight back covered in red Microsoft Word track changes. Mm -hmm. Because what the deal they're going to put in front of you and people without legal representation or with poor legal representation, just sign it. 
Oh, that looks good enough to me. Great. Um, but actually, your business is worth a whole lot more than that. And the deal structure is entirely skewed in their favor. It should be going straight back, covered in, in red Microsoft Word track changes um, to bring the deal uh, back skewed more towards you know a fair one. And it's not because the buyers are are bad or bad people. You know, I work with, with them every day, particularly if we're talking about the e-commerce aggregators. But business is business. And they want to get your business from you for as little as possible. Yeah. They can well afford to pay what it's really worth. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. And so I think uh, on this occasion, I, I mean, you know, we lawyers jokes aside, they're actually a good lawyer is worth the money here uh, would yeah. be would be our yeah. advice. So. So what's next on the scene on uh, uh, for you, Ben, are you are you are you now building uh, e-com brokers? Is that your plan you, or do you spend more of your time building e-commerce businesses themselves? Ecom brokers is my biggest hat, and I'm dedicated most of my time to it. I'm still building brands. I say brands plural, several in the pipeline, one at at, at the moment, and it, it needs to be that way so that I can I can focus on ecom brokers. One of the lessons that I learned in my journey, if you want to use that overused expression, uh, with Beast Gear <laughs> was that um, it's important to recognize your your strengths and weaknesses. And now with the new brand I'm building, and this one's in the parent slash baby um, uh, niche, I'm partnering on that. So mm -hmm. I'm more of the visionary and my partner, Mark, is more of the, 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 the integrator kind of guy. If we're going to talk about uh, um, traction by, by Gina Wickman for a minute. And I've learned that partnering is a really great way to go. So that takes some of the pressure off. But of course, now I know how to build teams and I know how to... Um, delegate tasks to the right people so that I can have the vision and get the flywheel spinning and other people can uh, keep it spinning for me, if you like. Mm. So I'm not going to be day to day in the nitty gritty, um, you know, checking, uh, checking that the Shopify site is ticking over nicely every day or whatever, or, or, or updating email marketing software. Uh, that's going to be for team members. And um, hey, a great book on that is, is Who Not How by Dan Sullivan, right? Recognizing mm who you need um, to help you. So from that point of view, um, that's great because I, I can I can have my cake and eat it. I can build a brand and enjoy that without having to get stressed out and running around like a headless chicken, like so many of us do um, with, with our first brand. Because after mm. you've had that exit, you have, um, you have the resources to do that as well. So what are you looking for then when you... Um, you talk about building brand, not just, you know, creating a website that sells any old thing, but you're, you're looking at brands, you're building brands. So your first brand was Beast Gear. You're now looking in the parent uh, sector for obvious reasons, because we can hear your beautiful children in the background. It's that, you know, this is very real to you right now. And you talked about having a passion for that brand that you're building. But what are some of the things that you're looking for? Or what are some of the things maybe that potential buyer is looking for? when we're thinking about what brand could I build online, what are some of the things that we should think about there? It's interesting you mentioned about the buyers because more and more buyers and more and more investors in the buyers are looking at brand. Mm. Because when, if we're, again, if we're gonna talk about the e-commerce aggregators for a second, uh, when they first started 18 months ago, two years ago, um, it was all, it was very simply about, well, e-commerce is growing at whatever percent a year. So if we just roll up a bunch of e-commerce businesses, they're going to grow, right? Mm. 
but the investors are, are, are understanding now that actually it's so much more than that. Um, and, and brand is where it's at. So they're only going to invest in, in an aggregator who understands that brand is important and that you need the operational chops to run it. So what I'm talking about when I talk about brand is, I mentioned it a bit before, a, a suite of products that solves a range of related problems for a particular group of people. And that brand needs to have a, a clear identity and understand who its customers are, mm -hmm. which is why it's really important that either you, preferably you, or someone else uh, in the organization is that customer. So for Beast Gear, I was the fitness fan. Mm -hmm. for, the, for the new parent brand, I am a parent. And that the brand reflects who the customer is, but also who the customer aspires to be. And when you do that, it becomes so much more easy to build a, a, a tribe of, of fans who will continue to buy your products as you, as you bring them out. And that is extremely attractive to a potential buyer of your business because they can see that not only can they take what you've got and improve on it with their, their capability, but they can actually continue to grow it by launching more products because you have a group of of you know cult-like you know, almost evangelical fans of your brand mm. who keep coming back again and again and again whereas if you're either selling a mishmash of stuff or you're selling you've built a brand but it's not very compelling your marketing's not very compelling the story behind the brand isn't very compelling um it, it, it's it's you know you're still just selling stuff you've just put a every product has the same you know brand name if you like that's a really easy trap to fall into. That's not going to work. It needs to be a, a compelling brand. That's really, uh, I find this fascinating because um, it, I, as, as I'm listening to you talk, one of the questions, I guess, that comes up in the back of my head is, let's say I build a brand. I am its target customer. I'm passionate about fitness. I built this fitness brand. Um, I've been on social media. I've done, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm involved. And I've yep. become the face of that brand. Is it, is that a problem for a potential purchaser? Because that, you know, there's the brand and then you're kind of the face of it. You're the driving force behind that. How does, what happens if you're no longer in that? Does the brand plumb? Yeah. How, how do you, how do we safeguard that? It's not a problem. You've just described exactly what I did with Beast Gear. Mm. So the interest, the reason I did that with Beast Gear is I'm averagely fit. I enjoy training, but I am not a professional athlete and so are so many fitness fans so the fitness industry is an extremely elitist industry who's strongest fastest most muscly skinniest whatever and so with beast gear i positioned myself as the face of the brand saying hey i'm ben i'm averagely fit but i believe that we all should have access to excellent training products that don't cost too much don't fall to bits and that shouldn't be the preserve of uh, elite athletes and the extremely wealthy so i'm going to bring you excellent products at a fair price and with superb service um, if you are the future heavyweight champion of the world, you're a beast, come join my tribe. Mm -hmm. Equally, if you are really unfit and starting your first couch to 5K, provided you're setting some goals and you're getting after them, you are a beast, come join my yeah. tribe. Yeah. That really worked. And the reason I was still able to sell the business is although I had uh, made myself the face of the brand, I'd still built a business with all the systems and processes which could be handed off. Although the business was using me as the face of it, it wouldn't fall apart without me. 
And actually, yeah. when you negotiate your deal to sell your business, that can come into play. So Beastgear continues to use my image. And I actually continue to develop products for it. That's, you know, you could, you may want to, you could negotiate a side agreement as a consultant. You might even want to retain equity in your business, depending on where it's going. There's a million ways to scale, to, to um, structure a deal. You don't have to sell it a hundred percent. And so it shouldn't matter provided that the business can still be run by another organization. I mean, everybody knows Ben Francis is the founder of Gymshark. He, he's not quite the face of it, but everybody knows it's Ben yeah. Francis. Does that mean that he can't sell Gymshark? No, of course it doesn't. Mm. Dyson, a little bit more difficult because it's got his name in it, right? Mm -hmm. But equally, you know, everybody knows Elon Musk is, is Mr. Tesla, mm -hmm. right? But it's, it's not called Musk Motors, right? Mm -hmm. So you can be the face of your brand, provided there's enough separation that the business isn't going to fall to bits without you. And, you know, it's not, it doesn't have your name on it, right? Um, you, you can still sell it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. So fascinating. I, ben, listen, I feel like we're just getting started here. Uh, but I, I feel, I say this a lot to guests. It's like, um, I feel like I could just keep going and going and going, but I need to be respectful of, of your time. Um if people want to connect with you, if they want to reach out to you, if they want to get hold of you, how can they do that? Sure, absolutely. So uh, first off, you can head over to ecombrokers.co.uk. It's a UK domain, but we've got clients all over the world. You can email me, ben at ecombrokers.co.uk. And I am on all the main social media channels. My handle is at Ben Leonard Pro. And on LinkedIn, just search my name and you'll find me. And I'm happy to chat with anyone. Fantastic. Fantastic. And we will, of course, put all of Ben's links in the show notes as well, which you can get on the website. Uh, ben, listen, it has been an absolute privilege talking to you. Really, really helpful. Uh, and, uh, you know, good luck with, with Econ Brokers. And uh, I'm, I'm, when you get the new parent brand, you'll have to come on and let us know what it is and talk to us about yeah. how you set it up and why you did it. I'd be really curious um, as to your thought processes behind that. Uh, and how it's going so hopefully we'll have you on again absolutely. um but yeah no been an absolute treat a real pleasure uh i'm very very appreciative of you being here thanks ben thanks for having me no problem wasn't ben great now uh i'm sure if you are thinking of selling your e-commerce business whether it's now whether it's in a few years time it would be worth reaching out to that young fellow wouldn't it uh and just uh, having a conversation with him and you can reach out to benny give you all his details but if you need to know uh what those links are again or if you want to read the show notes if you want to go through the transcript all of that is available on our website ecommercepodcast.net forward slash 76 yes it is because this is episode number 76 so you can go to ecommercepodcast.net forward slash 76 and uh, there you'll find all the information relating to Ben. You can reach out to him. You can get in touch with him. Uh, and I'm sure Ben will be super, super helpful. Just love it. Always love talking to guests and his insights and his ideas around brand and building a brand that people want to buy. So, so helpful. So, yeah. Hope you got a lot out of it. I'm sure you did. Wherever you are, thanks for listening. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, as I said at the start of the show, if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe. You know, all the usual call to action stuff. Subscribe, like, share, all that sort of stuff. Be really, really helpful. I will be back next week with another guest talking about all things to do with e-commerce. Uh, I'm actually really looking forward to next week. We've got a great guest on the show coming. So 
Uh, do stay tuned, stay connected with what's going on. Come and listen into that. Uh, that is going to be fun as well. But like I say, in the meantime, just think about all the stuff with Ben and just just watch it again on YouTube or listen to it again. Take lots of notes, download the transcripts and all the best with building your business in such a way uh, that you sell it. And if you do do that, if you do scale it and build it in such ways to sell it, I'd love to hear your story. Maybe come on the show and tell us your story. It'd be great to hear from you. Okay, I think that's about it from me. Thanks for bearing with me and my weird voice today. Uh, it's been much appreciated. Uh, God bless you. Have a fantastic week and we will see you next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to the e-commerce podcast with Matt Edmondson. Join us next time for more interviews, tips and tools for building your business online.